What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Blue White Illustrated live postgame show on YouTube presented by On3. I'm Tom Hannafin. The Penn State Nittany Lions win the 109th Rose Bowl game by a score of 35-21 to against the Utah Utes. It is the signature, the statement victory that the Nittany Lions have been looking for all season long. They cap off the season 11-2, and and they take out the Utah Utes. It's honestly just the perfect ending to what was a very good season for a lot of Penn State football fans and especially an extraordinarily emotional ending, as you can see there. The career of quarterback Sean Clifford finally does come to an end. He will likely be the player of the game for this Rose Bowl, which is just full circle for a guy who was about 10 years old standing outside uh, the stadium there in Pasadena once upon a time and gets to walk off into the sunset winning the Rose Bowl. Now joined here by the workhorse of Blue White Illustrated, Thomas Frank Carr, who's grown a fabulous beard here during the holiday season. I mean, T. Frank, this has got to be the happiest edition of this postgame show <laughs> you and I have gotten to do in the last two years, I would say. How you feeling? Yeah, we have a third co-host now. Me, my beard, and you. And, and yes. really, once you get past a certain point, your beard does become a part of your personality. And that's really the reason it's not around all the time is that I'm selfish and I don't want to share the spotlight too much. And when, when the beard starts to take over, you know, we, we usually gets trimmed. But uh, yeah. Christmas felt like it was time to... Uh, Try something else new and hey, see if today see if it felt works. like Christmas because Penn State won the Rose Bowl. So, <laughs> I mean, what's your initial takeaway from this victory? Um, I guess a little bit stunned at how things played out because there, there's a lot of different ways I saw this game going. I did not see Penn State blowing out Utah. I mean, you see how the game was at halftime. 14 to 14. Let's keep that in perspective because this was a very close game. Utah was on their way, marching down to score. And then, of course, Cam Rising gets injured. But even before then, the way Penn State was winning was something that I was not expecting. At one point, Sean Clifford was like 12 of 14 for 129 yards and a touchdown. Super efficient. That that Utah secondary is a good group of players that plays well together. And uh, he was shredding them. They He was making good decisions. They were keeping him clean enough. And when he wasn't clean... He didn't panic. He didn't do some of the things that we've seen him do before where he makes some mistakes and uh, and turns the ball over or takes too many negative plays. There were some sacks in there, but uh, a lot of those were pretty unavoidable from his situation. So just um, just, just want to give him credit like everyone else is right now in this moment that that he gets his send off victory. And, uh, you know, we can get into some of that and kind of his career and all those things. But just a really impressive complete performance from Sean Clifford in his final game. And, you know, you got to, no matter who you are, if you follow Penn State football, you're a Penn State football fan, you got to be happy for a kid that, you know, more than anything, 
He lays it on the line every single game. He plays so hard. He cares so much about the team and the program. To win this way, I, I think that there's no other place to start. I agree. Uh, before we go any further, I do want to encourage all of you to get involved, if you'd like, in the Super Chat. That means if you want to donate to the channel, your questions and your comments will be highlighted and we'll address Super Chats here live on the show as we're doing right now with our good buddy Stephen Light. Uh, and a reminder that Blue White Illustrated is just $10 for a subscription from now until the start of next season so all you have to do is head to on3.com and search blue white illustrated for the homepage to sign up today steven light saying we got great clifford tonight steven you're you're absolutely right looking at his final line here against the utah Utes, 16 of 21 279 yards two touchdowns zero interceptions uh he he finishes the day with a negative one rushing yards on eight attempts but ultimately uh, a credit to utah the way that they played for most of the game they really limited what sean clifford was able to do in terms of uh, they kept him in the pocket they were keeping about seven eight guys sometimes in the box often daring sean clifford to beat them so the game evolved in a lot of different ways t frank you didn't see the rushing attack of penn state become truly dominant to the point of just gashing utah for five to seven yards of carry consistently there were a lot of plays that were just stopped dead at the line of scrimmage but it was just big burst plays uh, from the running game and the passing game which frankly has not been, at least in the passing game, that has not been Penn State's game here in 2022. So that, I was very surprised. That's not been the part that can lead the team. You're absolutely right. That has not been the way that Penn State has been able to win the game. So, again, starting with Clifford is the place we have to start because the, the, he was able to command the offense and get them going. And that was kind of a, a theme coming into this game that I was expecting and, and I talked about over at bluewhiteillustrated.com was that Penn State needed to get big plays because they have the more explosive athletes. If it got into a grinded out fest like it was in the second quarter where Utah had the ball for like 15 plays in seven straight minutes, then Penn State wasn't going to have a good opportunity to win in that particular game. Um, but they were able to get explosive plays. Nicholas Singleton, seven carries. He touched the ball seven times and had <laughs> touchdowns. 120 yards, 17 yards a carry. Something we talked about, I talked about in, in a video earlier this week, uh, actually yesterday, was that he needed to get big plays because consistency, like you said, they're going to command the box. Utah, despite the fact that I think Penn State dominated at times on the offensive line of scrimmage, Drew Shelton had a breakout game as a run blocker. They are a good front, and they're going to frustrate with good scheme and good players that you're not going to consistently get churning out yards. I mean, you look at everybody else was under three yards, under four yards a carry, which is where that was going to be the danger zone if Penn State couldn't get somebody to break out. And of course, Singleton, the guy that broke out. Yeah. Uh, as you can see, Michael McCollin, thank you for your donation. You run your quarterback, you risk him, love the W. Obviously, you're referencing something that uh, Beach Wine Guy, which is the greatest handle I've ever heard. Uh, you, you feel <laughs> bad for Cam Rising, which is basically what McCullen is getting to, is that Cam Rising uh, was uh, had a few design runs, but for the most part had to run to sustain a lot of things that Penn State yeah. pass rush in the second half. You could see the adjustment. James Franklin addressed it at halftime, saying, hey, we're not getting pressure with our front four just based on our front four. And that's something T. Frank, you and I have talked about all season long is that this is a talented front four, front seven, Mm -hmm. but Penn State needs scheme and dialed up pressures, whatever, to get pressure on the quarterback. This was not a team that just you could line up your front four and just beat their offensive line consistently. Here's the thing, Tom. In the first half, Utah averaged 3.7 yards per third down. 
Right. So they were not in a situation where the where they had to hold on to the football. Cam Rising is a very elusive quarterback. Uh, speaking of, uh, you know, a guy like he reminded me a little bit just in the way he was able to escape pressure and get out of the pocket. And he's unwilling to go down. Reminding me a little bit of my guy, Josh Allen, who's playing right now. Don't know what's going on in that game. We'll have to check in in that. Somebody's got to provide me updates. Yeah, here if somebody chat. provides score updates in the ticker, we'd really appreciate it for T. Frank's sake. But uh, but yeah, he 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 was able to escape the pocket, but he was never put in a, in a lot of positions while he was in the game that uh, Chop Robinson was able to get home because Chop Robinson was a nightmare. Um, you know, this is one of those situations. If you watch, you know, you look at some of the advanced analytics of wins and win rate and things like that when it comes to defensive ends. Even if you aren't getting to the quarterback to get a sack or a hit, he was fundamentally affecting plays where at a certain point, I'm fairly certain I have to go back and watch a film. They did bench their right tackle in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So they that was a key matchup that I thought Penn State was definitely going to have an advantage of is Chop Robinson versus the right tackle in this game. And he came through. But the problem was the secondary and, and just kind of the way the game flow played out there were not a lot of third and longs. And when there was that final drive, when Utah finally had to throw the football, you saw kind of the weakness that they have in that their receivers were good today. I thought they were better than I expected. But again, Cam Rising finished with under 95 yards through a quarter, three, two and a half quarters, was not on his way to a, to a 275-yard passing day. He no. had to do everything with his legs because he was being flushed from the pocket. So that's the biggest, to me, that was the biggest thing was that uh, the pressure finally started to get home because they forced more obvious passing situations. Uh, one thing I want to ask for all of you is, Jason, by the way, a season is never complete unless you thank everybody, you know, like they do at the end of broadcast and everything. Jason and Steven and our regulars here every single week. Jason on every single video has the thumbs up. I, I appreciate you so much, my guy. If you want to like the video that helps us out, help Jason out. He doesn't need to pull the rope by himself. So like the video, make sure you share with your friends. And if you feel <laughs> generous, there you go. Joe Bot, like another button. regular here. Smash the like button, you fools. We really appreciate that. Helps us spread the gospel of Blue White Illustrated. So you can get some instant analysis talking about the X's and O's and what actually happened. And we'll talk a little bit about the big picture stuff as well. Uh, we do it all here on the postgame show. So make sure you share with your friends. Help us get to 10,000 uh, followers on the YouTube channel. That was a season goal of mine. Uh, so, you know, just like getting a thousand yards for the rusher, hoping we get a 10,000 followers here before the afterglow of the Rose Bowl is over. That's true. The, the, the season is still in effect until midnight tonight, technically. So yes. everybody's yes. got options. Um, Bill, thank you. Uh, happy for Clifford. Let's get a big time wide receiver in the portal. Uh, couldn't agree more. Don't know if you're necessarily going to get somebody who's like a Blitnikoff award finalist or something, but if you can go get somebody the caliber of what Mitchell Tinsley provided this season, um, I think there were flashes from Keandre Lambert Smith in this game that were again, promising, hopeful, yeah. But it's when is that going to be realized? You got a lot of young guys. But if you can get somebody, like I said, uh, the way that Tinsley came in this season and played in this Rose Bowl, had a touchdown and was really, really clutch at certain times for Penn State, uh, that would be a great pickup in the portal for Penn State. Yeah. And that's something James Franklin has been very transparent about, getting depth with the offensive line and picking up one, if not two wide receivers. Um, I, I do want to come back to something in this game is that it, it, it was the turning point of the whole game. Cam Rising getting injured in the third quarter completely shut down all the momentum of Utah. And there's part of me that as someone who enjoys you know, the, the sport and the competition aspect of it, you want to beat the best team possible at their best. 
Uh, Now I understand Penn State fans are like, we won 35 to 21. We're going to take it. We're very, very happy with the win. I'm in the same boat. There's part of me that would have loved to have seen how this game would have played out. I don't think it necessarily changes anything in terms of the perception of Penn State. I think there's going to be people that are like, well, if Cam Rising had been there, maybe Utah would have won it. But honestly, as even as the game was in the first half, the way things were trending in the second, it felt really good for Penn State, regardless of Cam Rising being in there or not. Yeah, Cam Rising didn't blow a coverage uh, so that Keandre Lambert-Smith got an 88-yard touchdown. Um, that that play shocked me because this is, like I've said before, this is a good secondary. Number 11, I think, is a good football player, but he gets put in situations where he's not as athletic as what he's being asked to do. But in that situation, it's cover two. Like, his job is to be deeper than the deepest play, and he wasn't. Cam Rising's not going to stop somebody from blowing a coverage. But what it does is it put game pressure on Utah to score. And when it, Nick Singleton's run put game pressure on Utah to respond. And with the situation, Cam Rising going out, they were in a, they were driving. But Penn State was starting to get that momentum of we're making big plays now. And Utah has to, I mean, most of their drives were, over 10 plays. They didn't have the big, the the quick strike capability that Penn state did kind of like you saw in the Rose bowl last year where they had a kick return and a couple of other ways they scored. But when, when Ohio state had the football, they were able to get explosive plays in Utah without Dalt, uh, without uh, Dalton Kincaid. They didn't have an element in the game that was really going to get you those big plays. So um, once Penn State started churning out big plays, it felt like that was the tide that was going to carry them. But you don't know with Cam Rising, you don't know what he's going to be able to pull out because he was he was single handedly keeping them in the game with his scrambling ability, and his ability to uh, escape the pressure that was getting there and that perception like I talked about. So um, that's that's something that that in this game, I agree with you. I think it would have been closer than 35-21, you know, 35-14 yeah. essentially is what it was. It would have it would have been maybe a touchdown, maybe closer, but I do think in the end Penn State was putting together the things on offense that Utah wasn't going to be able to match. Yeah. And considering the events of this weekend, as Jim pointed out, poetic justice with Penn State's win and the semifinal losses on New Year's Eve for Michigan and Ohio State within the Big Ten. Uh, I tweeted it. It was the best New Year's Eve ever to see both those teams (laughs) lose because that's all I wish every single weekend is that both teams lose even when they play each other. I just hope both teams lose. Uh, The one thing that uh, Joe mentioned here on top of what Jim's saying is like, hey, this is a these are feel good things. These are great. Now into 2023 he means beat michigan not eat yeah. michigan and the buckeyes I guess you could do both. that is you could do both that is what is left for this penn state f- uh, football team because yeah. this is the this is the game this is the signature win that you and i have been talking about all season long that penn state has been without here in 22 23 now looking ahead to 23 24 you've got to be able to beat one if not both right. of ohio state and michigan because this has the makings of a college football playoff contender. I first off, um, I, 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 I don't want to temper the enthusiasm and I don't want to pull the, the, the show and do a U-turn, but we are 20 minutes at the end of the 2022 regular season. Penn State just won the Rose bowl, but we're already fixated on Michigan and Ohio state. We got, we got 15 minutes into the podcast and then, this, <laughs> but I get it. Yeah. I get it. So, yes, that is. But let's also remember, we think we know what Drew Aller is. 
I thought I knew what Sean Clifford was when he first started playing. Very that he was going to be a more accurate version of Trace McSorley that could make throws to every level of the defense. And he could, except for the times he couldn't. And, and we don't know what Drew Aller is and isn't yet. So as much as we think we know, and he has the tools, and the opportunity is there, there's a lot of work that we need to do to understand what this team is actually going to be next year. It's probably going to look a lot like the one that it was this year with the running game. But Sean Clifford and what he what he showed you today, that Utah, I can't believe they played as much too high safety as they did, where they were rotating to leave the middle of the field open. And coming into this game, I was talking to people on the message board at bluewhiteillustrated.com, and they were saying, Theo Johnson's going to have a big game, and, and the tight ends are going to be a key factor. And I said, one of the things that I think is concerning is that if I'm Utah, I'm playing press coverage. I'm playing man coverage. I'm forcing Penn State to beat my receivers. Now, obviously, that leaves Clifford the ability to run, which he's done all year long. But if you play cover two and you leave the middle of the field open, Theo Johnson, M Mitchell Tinsley, they shredded the middle of the field. I just I was blown away that like, did they not watch the Minnesota game? Especially yeah, when you tweeted that as like they should have watched the Gophers game. <laughs> yeah. And, and they were trying to at the same time. So this is kind of the fundamental thing about uh, when you when you're going cover two, you're playing two high safeties like that. You're flooding the underneath zones where you've got five defenders underneath and two deep safeties. And you're forcing a quick pass because your pass rush gets home, except it was not consistently getting home. That's a problem with Utah's defense is they don't have they don't have their, their starting of the year pass rushers. And those guys weren't very good to begin with. So they needed to bring pressure like they did early in the game with cover zero with five and six man blitzes. Um, and they stopped doing that. And then they were rushing four and they're trying to zone blitz and stunts and get free rushers that way. And kind of, uh, I think have it both ways. And, and Sean Clifford had the game he had because I think largely that, and to me, like that's, that's a thing we don't know to my original point. We don't know if Drew Aller would be able to do that. Sean Clifford was able to do that in pre-snap, make those decisions post-snap, and get Penn State into something that they weren't expecting to see. That, that's the task that Drew Aller needs to do that in the run game, in the pass game, before we can say this is a national championship contender, because we genuinely don't know. Yeah, it's it's all based on hype. It's based on potential. And a lot of that, not just Drew Aller, for me, is the hype and the potential of the offensive line. You yes. get Sichanu back next year. You get a healthy Landon Tangwall. You move Hunter Norzad to center. And then on the right side, you're going to hopefully have Caden Wallace or some combination of himself and then Sal Wormley. I mean, Caden Wallace was in and out of the game with Bryce Effner today. So obviously, um, you know, there's got to be some depth that's built there because yes. there are just so many injuries at that position. I, I think the offense is going to go to the way the offensive line goes, which I know is the most cliche thing you can say. But at the same time, Drew Auer can't overcome everything if he's put in a bad position from the word go. So, yes, there, there's that aspect to look at. Uh, Steven, thank you for your donation. Eat meat chicken. I agree with you entirely. <laughs> uh, Matt, uh, applauding T. Frank's professionalism working during a Bills game. Yes, T. Frank is very committed to his job, which is uh, very, very sweet. Uh, and I, uh, I have to say she's the best. She got me the microphone. She's keeping me updated in the game. Yes, she is. Zoe's the best. Big fan of Zoe. Um, also, let's see. Tired of PSU being the perpetual Rodney Dangerfield, I imagine, within the Big Ten and nationally. Uh, Michael, I think all Penn State fans feel that pain, and especially after the events 
uh, of the last handful of days, not only the college football playoff semifinal games, but also the events of what was it? The cotton bowl earlier on today, Tulane beating USC by a point. I mean, yeah, all of a sudden T Frank, my perception of what the best teams in the country are. I still think there's, you know, that gap when you watch some of these teams play, but at the same time, it, it doesn't feel huge between what Penn State is versus, you know, the teams that are playing in the national championship or the teams that yep. played in the major bowl games. What did you see? I, I, I saw, you know, both of Penn State's losses this year go down in incredibly competitive games where they're playing in, 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 in Michigan's uh, instance outside of their normal structure not running the football, not playing smash mouth, having to actually throw the ball. And they adapted in that situation. I'm uh, my biggest problem when I'm watching uh, games in, in football is like the whole narrative around Michigan this year was smash mouth football. This is the way it should be. Big 10, blah, blah, blah. And like you reward bad process sometimes where you're not going to be able to do that in every single game, so you have to be able to adapt. And to Michigan's credit, they were able to throw the football. They were able to put the ball up in the air. McCarthy showed some stuff as a, as a quarterback. Are we still live? Yes, we had a technical difficulty. Thank you, everybody, for bearing with us. Yeah, we're still here. I'm hearing from the other room that we're not live, but it says that we're still live. Someone, someone, give me something in the chat. This is this is by the way, this is my nightmare. Are we? Yeah, I, it seemed like I was trying to move a comment around, and it <laughs> didn't, didn't seem like it was cooperating. Up, oh, yeah. Adam says yes. We're back. Okay. Okay. Sorry, guys. Uh, technology Beer delivers modern technology. Uh, as you were saying, T Frank, uh, I forget where I was saying, like the panic wiped my brain. Yeah. <laughs> Michigan was able to throw the football and they were able to, to show something beyond what they were. Penn State was able to do that in this game. So like, you know, football is football. The best sometimes individual matchups dictate how things go. And I, I just I, I think that Penn State's a very good football team, and they played two other very good football teams, and they came up short in those games. But we can see that, like, the the margins are very thin. The margins are so thin in these games. And it all depends on matchup in that I think, you know, you had Ohio State. Uh, I I genuinely did not think uh, Georgia's defense would play that way against Ohio State, but credit to C.J. Stroud, showed a wrinkle in that he can run, and it really affected everything for the Georgia defense. So it's just yeah, uh, a lot of it comes down to matchups. TCU wanted to play, you know, smash mouth style of defense, even though they gave up a lot of points. They limited J.J. McCarthy, and they made Michigan – do what they didn't want to do, and that was, you know, drop back and have to really open up a passing game. But uh, I digress. Uh, Eli, with a great donation here, thank you very much. What else needs to happen for this team to make that leap? Because we have the pieces in place. I feel like uh, we need a few more pieces. What do you think? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Luck. Uh, so a lot of stuff comes down to luck. And, and I mean that in terms of injuries and health and timing. If Abdul Carter is uh, two, three weeks ahead of schedule and plays a little bit more aware in, in the Michigan game, Maybe things play, play out differently, although I don't think so. That, that game, I think, is just one of those situations where Michigan had a better game plan and they executed it. Mm-hmm. But against Ohio State, if Caden Wallace is healthy or if you just get lucky on a couple of screens and the ball falls to the turf and it's not batted directly in the air, you might survive that game. You're you're pushing Ohio State. We saw in this, We saw as the season went on, you can throw on that secondary if your offensive line gives you time. Um, you know, if the if the offensive line isn't beat up at that point, they have the opportunity to win that game. But one individual matchup dictated two drives that led to 14 points that led to a snowball in the fourth quarter. And it's those margins and, you know, a play call here and, you know, all of the BS that nobody wants to listen to when it comes down to coach speak that that's that's the margin. So Penn State needs to be better than the margin. And that comes back to recruiting as well, which is something that they're working on day in and day out, going back to the receivers in the portal and everything else. So it, there's no secret formula. It's just you've got to keep chipping away at it and get wins every single day, like James Franklin says. So I don't have a magic formula of they need to do this specific thing, but there is like just in the margins, those small things that don't go your way. Talent does help wipe away some of those deficiencies. Uh, Larry uh, gave us a great donation and we obviously had a little technical glitch so thank you everybody for bearing with us Larry I did go back and find your question here uh, let's see this is more of a comment altogether I believe happy Clifford ended on a good note Franklin outcoached Whittingham rising or not he doesn't play defense uh, Penn State dominated the line of scrimmage and I completely agree with all of that Larry I think that Penn State showed something that I, I they needed to do obviously in this game and that the way Utah played in the Pac-12 championship game against USC, and for the bulk of the, I'd say the second half of the season, that loss to Florida was kind of a, a head scratcher. When you see what this team can really be, yeah. Um, but that's kind of like week zero oddities. I don't even know what yep. to chalk that up to. That I throw that game out. That's that's what I that's what I chalk it up to. You've got a team going from Utah to Florida, playing in the humidity. Um, Anthony Richard, Richardson had the game of his life. So twice now, Utah has faced the game of the uh, quarterback's life. And we didn't see Richardson do that pretty much at all the rest of the season. So, you know, it's and it's the unfamiliarity, too, of these cross conference games that you Florida and Utah don't play. They don't have this depth of knowledge. I know you're coming into the season, so you've watched a lot of film, but there is that kind of just you don't know in these in these unfamiliar matchups. And same thing with Penn State and Utah here. Utah had not played a team that plays like themselves. They had not played Utah all year. They played Utah in the in the in the Rose Bowl game because Penn State plays with two tight ends. They play smash mouth. They had the physicality on the offensive line, and they've developed 
the dedication to the running game, despite the fact that Nick Singleton had seven carries. Um, so that's that's what we found out today, that they weren't quite up to the test of playing a team that plays like them. Um, thank you to Terrence for just the straight-up donation. We appreciate that. Um, and a big thanks to Mike Potter. This is a big donation. Woo, um, football coverage out there. Thank you for a great season. The, all the guys at Blue White Illustrated do a phenomenal job. Uh, the question, does Penn State make the playoff next year? Uh, I'll let you go first, and then I'll, I'll give my thought. I think so. There's a couple things that are really interesting in that there was uh, there's a report out there that says if Jim Harbaugh is offered an NFL job, he's going to take it. It is very, very difficult, obviously, to replace somebody who is as good of a coach and as good of a recruiter as Jim Harbaugh. And mm -hmm. Michigan has shown, well, good recruiter. I think that can't be denied. Uh, Jim Harbaugh and the rest of what Michigan has accomplished over the last two seasons, they've shown that they can be contenders, obviously, back-to-back -back years in the college football playoff. But Michigan has also shown when they don't have their guy at head coach, their, quote, Michigan man, this program can wilt rather quickly. And the way that they've made it very clear that they're not going to pay players, you just straight up pay for play, that you have to select to come to their university first before having access to NIO benefits. And it's clear the teams in the SEC and, for instance, Ohio State are willing to just pay for play. Mm -hmm. Michigan could very likely fall behind. So all of a sudden, I'm not saying it could be an immediate drop off next year, but if Harbaugh does, in fact, leave, that leaves an opening. Not entirely sure if this TCU team is back next year. I fully expect to see Alabama rebound next year. There's a chance LSU works into a nice thing because Brian Kelly's Brian Kelly, and he has them trending yeah. in the right direction. Uh, yeah. I very much see Georgia still being right there. It's a question of who succeeds uh, Stetson Bennett, which is an unbelievable thought to have, but at the same time, he's been very good for them. He's a national champion for a reason. So I, I think everything is in place for Penn State to make a run, but it's as T. Frank was saying, all Penn State fans are banking that Drew Aller is going to be the second coming, and we don't know that yet. We have to see it develop. Everything on paper looks really good on both sides of the ball, and you have a recruiting yeah. class coming in that, while it's not better than last season's, it bolsters the lineup and it provides depth in ways yeah. that you need. Yes, you do need to go get pieces in the transfer portal. You need to get depth and health along the offensive line. You need to get experience as well. You need pass catchers at wide receiver who can contribute immediately because there's just young players right now on this Penn State receiving core that we don't know what they're going to be. You know what you're getting out of the running game. You know on the defensive side of the ball, you've got Abdul Carter. And Kobe King, I think, is really going to be a nice piece next season. This secondary yep. looks great. You've got Storm Duck coming in to bolster that secondary. So if you see strides from the linebacking core, the wide receiver core, and the offensive line in the transfer portal, Penn State's going to be set up for success, especially for a chance at the CFP. That's my so, opinion. So put everything in a blender and see what comes out. And that's going to be the off season. That's you know, every that, season, that's, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's that. That's the off season. So, what happens after spring ball? What guys transfer? What guys get injured? Uh, you know, <laughs> Landon Tangwall being injured this season was a big storyline that kind of just went away. One of Penn yeah. State's most talented offensive linemen did not play this year. He did not play in this game. He did not play in any of the critical games down the stretch. So that we that's what I'm talking about with luck. And with some of these situations where you can't plan for that. So if Penn State gets lucky and, you know, their offensive line does take that massive step forward and they get a receiver in the portal, you know, this is a very good, the DNA of this team is very good. 
Mm-hmm. It was it was bolstered, as you said, by the class of 22, which came in with impact football players. I don't see immediate impact football players in the class of 23 right now. And it's not at the positions right now that they that I think that they need. Now, there's some things that can happen with the linebacking group. Um, Curtis Jacobs moves over to the will. Abdul Carter moves to the mic. And then uh, you get another safety type body to play over on that side of the ball at the Sam, because, you know, I hate doing this in, in, in the postgame show, but like not everything was not everything was roses at the Rose Bowl today. The middle linebacker struggled and mm-hmm. Kobe King is a good football player. Physically, he's not on the level of some of the athletes that they're bringing in right now. And those guys, especially in the class of 23, they all are not Abdul Carter. They need time to develop and grow. Tamir Robinson, he's the right size, didn't play this year because of an injury. He also has the least experience, even before then, kind of at the linebacker position. He can play Mike. I don't, I wouldn't project him to start or play next year. He needs time to develop as a football player with some instincts. Then you look at the young guys, the the Kavion Keys and, and Tony Rojas, who are excellent athletes and everything you're looking for. They're 190 pounds, so they're enrolling early. I think both of them, or at least Rojas is, but getting to 215, 220, that is, that is a, that's a tall task for Rojas. Yeah. He needs time to grow. So impact players through the portal or the recruiting class. Right now, the answer is no. They don't have any of those players, and you don't need to have a complete roster. You don't need to be elite from A to Z, but you do need to have answers at every position. And right now, Penn State does not have answers at every position. But the thing I'll say more than anything is next year, it's still just four. So the odds are not in Penn State's favor because the odds are not in anybody's favor. It's it's the smallest percentage of the playoff field compared to the regular season and the number of participants. So mathematically, no, I, I don't think they're going to get there just yet. But they can, just like this year, they have the opportunity. They will be in position to make that happen. And that's all you can ask for from your program is every year you're in position. And even if you come up short, you're in position. And eventually if you keep at it and they are getting better each week and they are getting better each season, I do think that they'll break through eventually, even if it is in the expanded playoff format and you win a game against a team you're not supposed to. I do want to acknowledge uh, some great Super Chat donations here. Uh, Paul, best game I've seen Clifford players. Fantastic. Never thought I would say that. I, I agree with you. And to see how emotional he was coming off the sideline, the way that James Franklin made sure he had his moment, I thought that was really special. That That is something that I think time is going to be kind to Sean Clifford. We, yeah. as Penn State fans in the present, myself included, have not been kind to Sean Clifford. Uh, I think time will look back on his time a little bit more fondly, so to speak. Uh, yeah. This is a big donation from Ethan. Uh, thank you all together. My and guy. just a great win. Uh, obviously, we're all in a celebratory mood, so we appreciate it. Uh, Larry, we did get your uh, your your point and uh, your donation. We appreciate that. Uh, this is a question here from Steven who jumped in earlier, and I wanted to get back to it. Sean was done a, uh, doing a ton of pre-snap, more than I remember. Was that extra prep time or something Utah made available you touched on this a little bit earlier on but can you dive into that um so i i this is always the the conversation i don't know because the staff isn't going to tell you um what is sean allowed to do pre-snap what is he capable of doing pre-snap and you know that's that's the conversation of is he allowed to change the play or is he allowed to 
he obviously sets the protection. He does certain things pre-snap that a veteran quarterback is supposed to do. But is he allowed to outright change the play? And that's what it looked like happened in that situation. He got them in a he got them into a formation where he got Tinsley up the the middle of the field in between the safeties to get a critical third down conversion. I think that was the one where it was Tinsley, where it was very obvious he was in control. Um, and, and that's always been my concern is that, or my question is every time we see a change, it's, it's pre-snap. He's looking to the sideline he gets the new play. And then he's re-IDing the mic and things all the way up until the last second is on the clock. So he's doing, he's been doing a lot of stuff pre-snap that I don't think fans pay attention to because it doesn't always result in big plays. Today, it was very obvious and it was very clear that he was dictating these things. And and that's why it was such, a, to me, it was kind of a storybook thing. I, I'm i in, in an emotional state today. I got to meet my nephew for the first time. Uh, my sister oh, just had a baby man. last that's night. Great. So, like, I've had a whole gamut of emotions this afternoon. And I was in an emotional state watching Sean Clifford. I'm getting chills talking about it now. Like, that was the perfect send- send-off for Sean Clifford. There could not yeah. have been a better script for him outside of, you know, winning a national championship and blah, blah, blah. But in the context of reality, that was a perfect game for him to play. And he played it perfectly. And and those are all the things where the veteran savvy came through. Uh, big donation here from Showtime. We appreciate it. Problems for next year. PSU can't stop the run. Second, I know both of you told me that I have to live with Coach Diaz. Uh the blitz but 14 to 7 and you zero blitz why uh thank you guys so much for this year so uh maybe t frank you can speak to that uh which part (laughs) uh i believe uh showtime is alluding to uh early on in the first half penn state's up 14 to 7 and there was a a zero coverage all you know all out blitz i'm I'm blanking on exactly what the play was uh there definitely been some times i will Mm -hmm feel this a little bit and give T Frank a second to collect himself. But basically like, yeah, there's been a lot of instances this season where Manny Diaz uh, goes for it yeah, <laughs> in some so, pretty aggressive ways. That that's the way that he is. But um, uh, fortunately in this situation, it didn't really kill Penn state in the grand scheme of this game. I'll, I'll answer the first part because I don't know the specific time he's talking about, but it, it doesn't matter. It happens all the time. Like you said, yeah. um, that's an area that I do think is is real when it comes to the Penn State defensive line of trying to find a defensive tackle that can replace PJ Mustafer. Um, because they when when he was not in there and when they had some of their second team one techniques, it was a problem. Like they could not yeah. get off blocks. They were pushed. Beeman around. is undersized, unfortunately. Uh, I, I I'm like Beeman talking, a lot. I'm not but... even talking about Beeman. Uh, you know, I, I think Devon Ellis really struggles to get off of blocks and to make plays to the size that he is. So he's asked to play that one technique and, and I routinely see him struggle at that. So they need to find somebody to play that position. I think it is a priority. I think Penn state recognizes it, but when you find a good one tech, they're either in the NFL or they're featured in their defense. It's hard to find them in the portal. There's been one or two. Both of them have been snapped up by other teams and other locations. Um, So again, going back to, will they win the college football playoff? If they can find a way to magically make this undersized front four work to a higher level and Zane Durant breaks out and Jordan Vandenberg develops into the guy that I think we all think he can be as that uh, disruptor on the interior that can play that one technique, even though I think he's closer to a three, then sure, Penn State can compete. But there's a lot of things that have to happen. Dennis Sutton has to be a guy that takes that leap 
if Adisa Isaac goes pro. We don't know at this point. He hasn't made his announcement. I don't know if he's made it post game, but you know, there's a lot of ifs, and that's all. That's always the thing is when you start counting your ifs and you count them all positively, you haven't realized you just did a laundry list of things that have to happen. Um, and every team has this, by the way. When it comes to Diaz and the pressure, um, it works until it doesn't. And, and and the play that sticks out in my mind, Marquise Wilson, when when you have um, Kalen King come off the field. Marquise Wilson was the player I was concerned about in this situation mm-hmm. where I think he plays at the level of the Utah receivers. He's a good player, and Utah has good receivers, but Penn State's defensive secondary is different. I think we have all seen that they're just a different breed, a higher level of guys that are going to the NFL. Wilson is right on that line. And the one play he's out there on an Island, he falls over when the ball is underthrown and the six foot five receiver goes up and gets it. So you live with that. If you're Manny Diaz, you live with some of these aggressive coverages, but rarely does he really go cover zero all out blitz. It's not all the time. Mm-hmm. It's in high leverage situations and they do it in ways that force the ball out quickly. They don't allow you by kind of mugging the a gaps and having extra guys on the outside there. Somebody's coming unblocked immediately. There's no disguising it. You have to make a decision with the football. And that usually is an obvious one where the ball has to go to certain players in certain positions. And Penn state's been able to make that work time. And uh, again, but then when they drop out or they have some of these other variations, that's where I think you see more of the problems. Uh, but yeah, cover zero is not just Manny Diaz. Everyone's doing it now. Everyone is running cover zero. You saw in the college football playoff, Michigan ran cover zero and the TCU receiver broke a tackle and went for a touchdown. It's, it's part of this. We need to stop spread offenses. We need to come up with a solution for the RPO. And what we're going to do is the defense is going to dictate the terms. Run or pass. You have to make a quick decision. We're not allowing you to just cheat through these these cheat codes that the offense has but it has risk and we've seen it you know on both sides where the risk hasn't paid off i think manny diaz is i think you'd be hard pressed to find a better defensive coordinator in college football right now um the steal of you know the offseason in my opinion in terms of a guy who didn't have a whole lot of shine on him after the debacle yeah. at the university of miami we know what that really is now so i think manny diaz is looking really good and my concern going forward is him leaving for a, a head coaching job again uh, because well, obviously he's yeah. attempted that so hopefully he sticks around for a while because penn state could use him i think that the, so the i think the issue is they have an excellent staff and if he were to leave you know guys i'm very impressed with on the staff I, you know um Anthony Poindexter has almost gotten a head coaching opportunity. I think he'd be Mm -hmm. an excellent defense coordinator. I've gotten the chance to watch him coach up close uh, this summer during some of Penn State's camps. Excellent communicator, you know, gets the information to the players really well, makes it simple, easy to understand. And, you know, I I think he, if they, they could lose both of those guys in any off season because James Franklin, and this is something I've said for years now, it's, he's not just a good evaluator of talent when it comes to athletes and players on the field. He's a good evaluator of talent when it comes to coaches and and getting the right people in the right position. It doesn't always happen, like it, just like in recruiting. It doesn't always work out, and there have been some big misses on the staff, but with an increased budget, Penn State committed a little more money in this last round of negotiations in his contract to the pool of, uh, of coaches and coordinator money, and we've seen the fruits of that where they go out and get Diaz, and there's not a drop-off from Brent Pry. And in fact, I think they maintain a certain level of excellence 
uh, from one season to the other and improve it in some ways with the sacks and interceptions this year? There's a few reasons why assistant coaches and coordinators leave a program. One, more money. Two, a bigger job, bigger opportunity. Uh, But at the end of the day, one of the reasons that they stay is because they think they can win a national championship. If you see these coordinators and assistants stay for an extended period of time, there's a lot of depth amongst this assistant uh, coaching staff. I mean, Look at the job Ty Howell has done with, yes. with tight end. I mean, it's yep. just it, Terry Smith is excellent. Um, Ken Wisenhunt is on this staff. Let's not forget the man coached a Super Bowl. Like yep. there, there are a lot of really good minds on this staff. If you see that nucleus stay intact, it's because they know there's a really good chance of making the playoff or winning a national championship, which has been largely what we've been discussing on this show is, oh, will Penn State be in the playoff next year? I think there's a really, really strong chance because the field expands to 12 and 24. So, yeah, I think there's a really good chance Penn State's in the playoff. That's not a, a huge leap. Next year, could they do it? Again, if you see this staff stick around, it's A, hopefully because they're getting paid well. They like where they are. They don't want to move. And also they think they could win a national championship. I think there's a lot of layers to it. Yeah, and, and just kind of we talked about this particular team of this was st- setting the stage for 2023 because yeah. Sean Clifford would be gone, right? And he, even here in his moment of glory, we have to relive the slander of talking about Sean Clifford in the way of a replaceable part. Um, and, and I'm not saying that there isn't some validity to that of the high-end NFL caliber offensive arm and all of those things of an NFL quarterback. That is something that Penn State needs or could use to fuel their way into a college football playoff run. Um, and and they sometimes arrive early. Kind of like in 2019, everyone said 2020 was going to be the year. Penn State went on a run in 2019 because they had good players in good positions and they arrived a little bit early. This team arrived early. So I do see why Penn State fans are so excited. There's no pandemic around the corner that I know of, knock on wood. I don't, I, you don't know. Don't say like that we, sort of stuff. Come on. I mean. We've got another hundred years before the next one is from the, the track record. Again, just going on the data, it's another hundred years before we have another one of those. So and let, barring an act of God, Penn State is going to be in a great position with a very strong nucleus heading into 2023. But just like 2020, a lot of unpredictable stuff can happen. And I guess like, I'm not trying to be the wet blanket on the conversation, but this is where hopes get up and then hearts are broken. And then you want to throw something at the TV because Drew Aller threw an interception. It is a reality that could happen. Yes. One step at a time. Um, (laughs) Yes. I I do. I do want to wind this down. Just kind of, We've talked a lot about the future and a lot has to play out, obviously. And we're about to dive into the doldrums of the offseason. Let's all be sad for a moment that college football is almost over for the season. January 9th, obviously, is a national title game between Georgia and TCU. So I know like I blink and the season's over and I'm heartbroken. And I'm really sad for the offseason. Then August comes around and my life comes back together. And it's just <laughs> it's all sorts of positivity. So I do want to take this moment just to reflect here. And George pointed out something great. Sean goes out a winner. And he played a game that we will always remember, that he will always remember, and certainly we as fans, I hope, will always remember happy for him. The two most criticized people on this Penn State football team, James Franklin and Sean Clifford. This victory, does it alter your perception of one or both of these men positively or negatively as we go into the future? 
Well, I'm not a fan, so no. I, I think that uh, going back to what Stephen Light said, what Stephen said, we got great Clifford tonight because the way I've described Sean Clifford throughout his career is you get a couple of things. It, it, it's he's a sandwich shop, and you get two toppings, and you don't you don't get to get a third. You can't pay for extra guac, and you either get big throws and turnovers, or you'll get checkdowns. And you know you have there's there's a there's a list of things you get, and then everything else he's not going to give you. So if he forgets to check the ball down, then he's scrambling and he gets yardage on plays, right? So you you kind of have this unpredictable roulette of what guy is going to show up, and today it all came together with him. He checked the ball down. He made big plays. He got out of pressure. He put it all together. It was one game in the biggest game of his career that, or I should say the last game of his career, because it's, it's the biggest game because it's the last game um, against an unfamiliar opponent. So that's a great ending, but I, to me, it doesn't erase or it doesn't remove all the things I knew about him previously. It doesn't expunge the record because I don't have an emotional attachment to the wins and losses for me as the analyst. I see what I see. And, and so no, but it does provide a great narrative and I'm happy for him. Again, there's always people take this as a criticism. They take this as like, I don't like Sean Clifford. I'm just telling you what I see. And some of my frustrations are no soup for you. (laughs) When you, When, when you do the same things and we see the same thing for six years, like then I do cut. That's when, when maybe my frustration of like, we've been here before, Sam, we're yeah. going in circles mm-hmm. to quote Lord of the Rings. But for this, it was something new and it was interesting to watch him play well and see the offense unlock with him at his full potential. So hopefully for Penn State fans, Drew Aller does that next year. Hopefully, uh, as someone who, you know, uh, do my podcast, Pater to Penn State football show with former Penn State quarterback, Matt McGloin, we're going to have a full reaction to this and we're more, boy up. we'll, we'll definitely, thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's on YouTube, Apple podcast, Spotify, Google podcast, tune in wherever you get your podcast. Um, we are definitely going to dive into the more emotional side of this and the more mental side, because I think there have been a lot of people, myself included, who have been frustrated with James Franklin's performance. And since 2018, uh, I will never forget it because I attended it, the loss at home to Ohio State, led by Dwayne Haskins and company. Uh, after the game, James Franklin talks about, we're, we've been a good football team, we've been a great football team, we're not an elite football team. You have the chance now because of this season, this Rose Bowl win, and what's in place for 2023 to be elite, potentially. Mm-hmm in 2023 and 2024 and potentially 2025 that hopefully gets realized because that's something Penn state fans have been thinking about since the mid 1980s. So that is the hope. Uh, James Franklin, I think changed a lot of opinions about himself this year. There are a lot of people Mm -hmm. who are constantly asking about his buyout, talking about people I've seen in the chat, talking about Matt rule. Those people still don't accept that. I mean, we talked about Michigan and Ohio state 15 minutes of the podcast. So let's, let's, let's stop about changing the perception for a second. I'm just saying, I think James Franklin did a lot for his perception and it a lot for himself. And obviously the alignment that he talks about from president to AD to head coach appears to be working very, very well based on the results of this 22, 23 season. So I personally feel very optimistic, not just because they won the Rose bowl, but this was this perfect cherry on top to what was a good season. And there's a really strong possibility of Penn state being in an elite position in 2023. Yeah, uh, so I want to go back to a couple things 
part of this conversation that if James Franklin now, so now we have a Rose Bowl win, a a New Year's Six that people really care about, a, mm-hmm. a, a really big win, signature stamp on the resume. And I just want to point out once again that we blew right by it and we're talking about next year. So this is how it works. One of two things happens. After we get out of this game, ah, Utah wasn't that good. Certain percentage of fans are going to say, ah, they didn't have their quarterback. It doesn't count. You didn't win a national. We constantly move the goalposts. So we talk about the narrative. Sean Clifford got to the end of the race and he won this game. And we're talking about changing the narrative about Sean Clifford. And that's so for him again, I'm happy for him. But now for Drew Aller and for James Franklin next year, if they don't go to the college football playoff now, now it's a disappointment. And I understand like, that's what you're chasing every year. But at the same time, let's talk about this in, in, in real terms. If they can't get a receiver in the portal, because NIL is a factor and other teams offer more in that than Penn state can, or a guy just wants to go to a different school. It doesn't matter how good of a coach he is. There are certain things you just can't overcome. Um, and you can try. You mentioned Michigan is not going to pay players to go to Michigan. Penn State and, and athletic director Pat Kraft the other day during his Rose Bowl preview press conference said the same thing. Penn State's not going They've to been saying pay it for a while mm-hmm. to go to Penn State. But you will have opportunities and success with honor and the other collectives are there. So there is the pool of money. But you're not getting a mcdonald's bag of money to give the old cliche just to show up to penn state and if penn state loses recruits in in the 23 class because of that or they lost guys in the future class or in in the in the portal they can't that's not a coaching uh loss you know that's an institutional loss but when we get to september no one gives a damn so we have to keep these things like if we want to have a factual record and we want to we want to know the story from beginning to end. But that's not fans show up. They want to root for their team. They want them to win. But you ask me and the guy that's like in the in the weeds, like that's the difference in perspective. That's the difference in the perception of it. A lot of things have to happen. And then we get to the expectation part next year. But the expectation has been set by winning the Rose Bowl. This is the springboard. I saw somebody uh, at the beginning of the show said, Springboard to next year, discuss. And first off, mm-hmm. I don't take orders. Uh, but secondly, like that's the expectation. We're already there. They have to beat West Virginia out of the gate. They have to beat Ohio State or Michigan. They have to make the Big Ten championship game. All of these things have been set up for them by their success. So good luck. You know, I'm glad that I sit here and I get to talk about it because that seems that that's just like there's so much to go before we get to the expectations. Yes, there's a lot that still has to happen, and to all the Penn State fans I'm out saying there, saying that for like the second half of the show, want to be sorry. who want to be happy right now, I'm gonna let you. Penn State wins the Rose Bowl against number eight Utah by a score of 35 to 21, capping off the 22-23 campaign, 11 and two. Honestly, this is 
far better than I think a lot of people, myself included, expected this season to go. This is a wonderful way to end the season. Uh, I want to personally take a moment to say thank you to you, T. Frank, and all the folks at Blue White Illustrated who have continued to have me back for these live postgame shows. I've so enjoyed it. I really look forward to doing it next season if the invitation is still on the table. Uh, and I invite all of you to come check out Pater to Penn State Football Show. It's a great podcast with myself and Matt McGloin, and we're going to continue to put out content throughout the offseason, and we're going to have a full recap of this game. That's going to be available hopefully in the next handful of hours so i'm going to go do that here in a moment but t frank thank you so much uh do you have any final comments here on this show i'm having a great time i'm sad to see it end uh this has been <laughs> this has been a wild ride so um a couple of things i don't know i i don't first off i love being here with you on this show because i feel like i get to just sit and talk and play and i don't have to be steering the show and you're you're excellent at being the host and I get to, you know, right. just have a conversation. So I feel more comfortable to say things like we had half a million people listen to the BWI daily edition on our podcast downloads. So I don't, I don't know what other podcasts do, but I'm incredibly proud of that. Like this, this show, this channel is my baby. And, and I am so unbelievably proud of the work we've done at blue white illustrated with Sean Fitz coming over um, the, the site has continued to grow. We have the most in-depth, connected, sourced group of, of reporters, and I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it. And I'm glad I can give them this platform to discuss Penn State football and to help ed- tell people about the stuff. Like half the stuff I talked to you about, you know, in that last monologue rant about the end of the season and transfer portal. Like this is all conversation we have on the show because our guys are so connected and they know so much. So I'm learning these things. And what I do is I learn stuff and then I tell you about it. I learn football and then I try to explain it in a way that makes sense. Uh, We learn these things and we explain it to you so that you understand and you can be the smartest Penn State fan in your group. Um, So help us grow that because I built like you can't fake stuff like this. And this channel is for real. This podcast is for real. I'm going to start like getting up and ripping my shirt off and start throwing stuff. I'm so I'm so jacked up about this. So please <laughs> subscribe. Tell your friends about us. Help spread the word about Blue White Illustrated on YouTube. There were 94,000 people at the Rose Bowl. 107,000 people go to the stadium every single year. We can do better on YouTube. We're going to have a million people listen to the show next year. We have bigger goals. We're going to be better. Everything. I'm fired up. So thank you so much for being a part of it. His beard is going to be like this by the time we get to the 23 season. Civil War. We're going Civil War beard. (laughs) He's Thomas Frank Carr. I'm Tom Hannafin. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Blue White Illustrated Live Post Game Show. Again, Penn State wins the 109th against Utah for a third. Thank you again, everybody. Have a wonderful night. And Team Frank, uh, go check out Bills versus Bengals.